for our feature interview this week, guys. I'm really looking forward to this one as we're about to call in somebody who has lived a running journey, both as a young athlete starting off, someone who went through a number of nightmare injury years, but then came out the other side with many years of injury-free running and PBs to boot, as well as picking up three degrees and various coaching and consultancy roles as well. Author of the new book released on June 28, Running from Injury, let's style in Peter Francis. Peter Francis, you're very welcome to the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Peter, how are you doing? Uh, very well, Owen. It's, it's good to be here. No, it's a pleasure, Peter. And I know it's an exciting time for you this week because you're just about to release what looks like a fascinating book, Running From Injury, something that we all want to know how to avoid the dreaded injuries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose that the book is, is, is split into two parts. And the first half is to tell you you know, as, as plainly as I can, where, where we're going wrong as runners and getting the injuries. And, and the second section then is is very much focused on solutions, what we can do to avoid it. And of course, Billy, you're coming at it from both angles that you're a lecturer in sport and health science in IT Carlo, but you've also been a keen runner for a long, long time. And maybe just to start off the interview today, you could tell us about your own journey. I know you started at a young age, I think, and, you know, you, you had a talent there. You were running very fast, but you had your injuries as well. And that's maybe where the, the interest came in this specific area. Oh, completely. Um, I mean, the, the book is a product of, of trying to solve a personal problem. I started running when I was 15, 16 years of age and uh, really enjoyed it, um, really took to it. And I found the more I trained, the better I got. And, and that motivated my uh, desire to go and sp study sports science at UL. Um, but unfortunately, by the time I reached UL, even after, after leaving cert, I was so um, injury prone that uh, I couldn't achieve any sort of consistency and, and improve from, from my teenage years. So the result of that was kind of um, a series of comebacks over the next 10 or 12 years that essentially went nowhere. But I, I studied three science degrees in total. I, I became a coach at a very young age to, to kind of fill the gap initially. And um, slowly but surely, the more I applied my trade in, in sports science and sports medicine, um, the more I began to help, to help other athletes. And when I was 29, I kind of figured, you know, I'd, I'd pretty much given up by that point. I'd even done two half Ironmans, but I... I decided maybe I could uh, have one more go at this. Maybe I knew enough and maybe I could see a color picture for a different way of doing things. And um, I gave it a go and uh, eight week, an eight week program turned into three years. And I, I thankfully managed to, to break all those uh, personal bests of, of my youth. And so the book really is a mix of the athlete, the coach, the science, um, all kind of poured into one, into one book, but um, with a big emphasis on communicating it clearly and simply so that people can actually use the information, you know. And before we get to the, to the magic secrets of success and avoiding injury, Peter, what do you think it was in those early years in that first decade that led to those injuries? Was it overtraining? Was it, I don't know, bad biomechanics, general mistakes? What was it that that led to that bad domino effect and that prevented you from reaching your, your, your targets in the first, first half of your running career? Uh, look, it's, it's, it's very much all of the above. Um, and, and I think the book 
tries to emphasize that that I think where we're going wrong nowadays when we read articles online and so on is that we're focusing in on one thing and we need to zoom out um, and kind of adjust a few basic things. So in my case, uh, you know, firstly, I was overtraining Um, you know, I was I was up on 70 miles a week uh, even before I turned 17. Um, so very high volume, uh, very little movement variability. Uh, I'm six foot four. So, uh, you know, heavy stride mechanics doing that kind of volume. Um, you know, but also it's probably a, a lack of knowledge in, in, in some of the, the early coaching structures that I was involved in. But also, you know, there's behavioral psychology to all this stuff, too, in terms of um, having a lot on outside of running um, maybe not having the discipline to be patient um, and build up my running and not being aware of strength and conditioning. Uh, yoga, weight training, plyometrics, circuit training—you know—all all these other things um, that we need. Um, so it was just a very, very high volume, um, low variability program. And of course, because that works initially, and you you improve, it's very hard then you see to let go of who you used to be. And that's that's part of why it took so long. Is is in your mind, you know that the training you did originally brought you the personal best but what you can't fully work out is that the training you did originally also brought you the injuries and so a lot of the problem comes from coming back from an injury and too quickly trying to get back to who you used to be and so you end up in this yo-yo cycle where you're going up and down between injury and comeback and injury and comeback you know yeah well it's interesting Peter that you mentioned that even though you started at a very young age that you were still having the injury troubles because just from my own experience, say with my own club, what I noticed over the years was that those runners in Matfarnham that say started running athletics when they were in their early teen years or even younger, they actually didn't get as injured as much as the likes of myself and some of my club mates who maybe started in their mid twenties who had maybe football legs or rugby legs or whatever it might be. And we ended up getting injured a lot more. So I find that fascinating that even though you started early, that you still had those injury troubles. But as you said, so many things were going against you that it must have been very hard to stay healthy. Yeah. And, you know, what's important as well is, is maybe even more so than when I started, you have to remember I start, you know, I'm, I'm well into my 15th year turning 16 when I start. Um, but by the age of 17, I'm already at 70 miles a week. So it, yeah. the, rate, the rate of change there is way too quick. You see, you see? Um, so it, that's probably more of the factor was, was okay. You're still growing and all the rest of it, but um, the rate of progress and uh, been, been too quick was probably the big issue, you know? Okay, well, let's get into some of the content of the book, because I'm sure people are dying to hear, you know, what what advice, what tips you can give them. And without going through everything today, because we want people to have a look at the book as well. And I know you have your blog as well, which is full of fantastic information. So I think today we said that we focus on a couple of, you know, important areas that can help everybody of all levels. So we might maybe go through them quickly, Peter, if you think that's okay. And just the first one that I had spotted was yoga. 
And of course, there's such debate in the running community, especially over the last maybe 10 years or so, about stretching, whether to stretch before, stretch afterwards, or whether to stretch at all. But in the last maybe year or two, yoga has become very popular and very, very effective as well in helping to prevent injuries. So maybe we could start off with your own experience with that and whether you would advise it or not. Yeah, so, you know, one thing I do with runners a lot if if, if we're at a talk or, or a course or that is to try as much as possible to think in concepts um, rather than specifics. So, um, I think nowadays we're a little bit trapped in a is it good or is it bad kind of mentality and that's where that kind of reasoning comes from in terms of will we stretch before will we stretch after will we do static will we do dynamic and all of a sudden we're lost in the detail um, that, that we don't really need to be so what I'd say like for example about yoga is one of the reasons it would have worked for me is uh, as a concept it introduced movement variability uh, not just into my training, but into my day. So, you know, modern life is full of sustained postures where we're sitting in, you know, on sofas and in cars and everything else. Um, and other than when we're athletes, we're essentially, you know, couch potatoes a lot of the time. So yoga was a way of relieving sustained posture, which was going to be good in daily life. It was a way of adding variability to training, which was going to be good. And um, it's also a way of relaxing and increasing your headspace. So, um, by kind of uh, unwinding um, and kind of calming that nervous system down and relaxing, um, you know, th there's a chance then that you're also going to get a be in a calmer headspace and get a better night's sleep, for example. So it was a, it was an effective tool, but maybe not for the kind of um, stretching emphasized reasons that that people might traditionally associate it with, but for but for a combination of factors, you know. Yeah, and I must admit that I found that very helpful for myself, Peter, as well. When I was stuck in my own injury rut in 2015 and 2016, I'd come back, I'd come off the back of a couple of years of marathon training, road running, lots of the repetitive movement, movement that we have spoken about. And I tore my groin, my abductor, just couldn't heal it until I went to a personal trainer who just taught me some yoga exercises to, to, change the, my, to change my hip mobility, to release that abductor muscle just in a different way. And again, as you said, it was probably just mentally as well, doing something different, relaxing the muscle, where the traditional physio and the traditional exercises weren't working. I was just getting kept on breaking down, breaking down. And only when I did something different, like the yoga in that case, that it healed up. And it's a it's a very good approach, I think, that if you're stuck in a rut, to, to try something different like the yoga for all those reasons. Yeah, for sure. And the, the next one that we were going to touch on was, and I love this one, um, why runners should train like sports sprinters and especially for the guys that are listening to our show peter that a lot of them are you know running up hills every weekend running up mountains but no matter what pace you think you're limited to or or how fast your race might or might not be just so much benefit to introducing speed into your training well yeah there is and and part of that benefit is um sort of replicated by by what you're saying with your guys running up the hills um because when you run quickly you use better biomechanics 
and um, you can tell that by just looking at the Olympic 100 metres, you'll see that they all have a, a nice flexed hip, knee and ankle. Um, they're using their muscles and joints through a full range. Um, so it's, it's important for runners, particularly runners maybe um, on the flat who spend a lot of their time um, just kind of plodding along. Um, so when, when you run quickly or when you run up a hill, it forces you to create that bend at the hip and the knee and the ankle and start using your muscles to support yourself um, a lot more. So that's one reason that it's that it's really good. A second reason is that, again, it introduces good old uh, variability into training, which running is a sport low on variability. So so it's important for that reason. And a third reason that it's good is um, psychologically, it gives you confidence in your body. And if you're previously an injury prone runner you'll be you'll be short on confidence in your body but one of the things that happens when you sprint is you start to realize you know hey this 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 body actually works pretty well here um and that feeds into a confidence um that you can kind of train to to a good level so again there's there's, there's lots of reasons for doing it you know yeah and like we're not talking doing 400 meter laps to the track straight away something simple like 60 to 80 meter sprints at the end of a training session or if you are out on your trail run to sprint 10 seconds up the hill or go as hard as you can so we don't need to be killing ourselves pulling our hamstring as we're sprinting around the track no this is not a volume uh this is not a volume based exercise this is a uh, think of it more like a like a strength and conditioning um uh, exercise so yeah, if you can get a slight incline, um, that, that helps because firstly, the incline forces you to use good form. Um, and, and secondly, um, the speed will also do that. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, I mean, I used to just, I used to have a session when I was first coming back where I would warm up um, a couple of miles. I would do some uh, bounding and plyometrics and I might just do, you know, five, 50 meter hills um, something like that in, in later years when I did transition onto the track and been able to do track sessions and so on uh, I started with two 400s um, which you know again is completely the opposite of what the the volume uh, junkies that we all are you know will do but um, when I did the two 400s warm up did those warm down go home um, you know, when you do add one on for another 10 weeks, all of a sudden you're at 12, 400s and you've got a track session, you know? So, mm. um, it, a lot of this stuff is about taking your time as well. Yeah. You mentioned just, you know, feeling confident and feeling strong and powerful when you're doing, doing those strides. And that's another key tip that you have in the book, Peter, as well about running to feel that we shouldn't be slaves to our watches and our Strava and training peaks that you have to be confident in, in how your body in what your body is telling it to do and not to be always looking at the watch to it's okay that if you're feeling tired to run tired that day. And if you're feeling strong to run strong as well. And I know that was a big factor in the success of some of your training as well. Absolutely. And I mean, the last chapter in the book is called a little less information because, um, you know, not just in running, but I think nowadays we're, we're kind of drowning in information, whether it's about uh, diet or footwear or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's, it's really about tuning back into how you're feeling um, and getting a handle on that. And, you know, 
when you know what an easy run feels like and what a tempo run feels like and what a you know a track effort feels like um that's that's a great guide because the watch will tell you all sorts of different things uh, on different days and if you if you indulge in it too much you you'll sort of maybe get overconfident on the days where you're where you're flying but you'll also beat yourself up uh on the days where you're not going so well whereas if you can kind of stay with the effort uh as opposed to what's coming up on the watch you will always progress over time you know yeah and i wonder how many of us can actually admit that how many days of the week do we come back from a run and actually feel refreshed and energized which we should be for the majority of our running sessions but i think a lot of us you know we're guilty of maybe 80 percent of the time coming home from a run and feeling wrecked where you know that should only be for the race days and for the hard days yeah for sure absolutely um and I think a big thing that runners are probably guilty of there in that context is um, running in what I call no man's land. So it's it's too quick to develop an aerobic base or to recover, and it's too slow to get any faster. Um, so, but it is it is hard on the body, and and I think one of the reasons it's one of the hardest zones on the body is because it's it's fast enough. Uh, to be stressful on the body but slow enough to apply that stress for a long time and I think that's where a lot of injury and illness comes from is is training in that no man's land in between where you're kind of constantly under the cosh but never really under the cosh uh, and never really uh, you know building a base or, or or recovering well you know yeah, we've spoken a lot on the podcast before with Rene Borg about using five different zones and what we refer to as easy running would be zone one and zone two. Is that how you would work as well? I mean, would you be a big advocate of running in those lower zones, that zone one, zone two? Is that how you structure your own training formats? I have to say like the... The, there's use in 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 learning that stuff in terms of I, I i would have been fortunate to learn about a lot of those concepts um early on as a sports scientist and then i would have practiced maybe training at certain heart rates to to kind of get a feel of what kind of pace am i talking about and what kind of heart rate does that correspond um having said that uh the second time around which is the successful time around you could say I didn't yeah. really use any of that. Um, now, part of that is is because of having knowledge, you know, and and kind of, I suppose, knowing what I was doing, to, you know, to an extent. But um, another part of it is kind of coming back to this a bit less information. Um, one, one of the reasons that running in the slower zones is is good is it's it's low inflammatory in other words it's it's when you're using fat primarily as a fuel source and you're working below a certain threshold um it's it's less damaging you know a bit like a bit like when you're lifting weights and you're sore the next day it's kind of it's kind of a bit like that um so you can tend to do more of it and recover a bit quicker um and also build your capacity to be able to tolerate um the other sessions so um, I'm imagining that if you're saying around zone one, zone two is that kind of area, then runners mm -hmm. are probably guilty of training a bit too much in zone three and four, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think as you said, that's the the no man's land, isn't it? In zone three, now there is a time for it, of course, but a very small percentage of time. You, you touched as well there on all the data and all the information that is available to us. And there was another section that you spoke about, Peter, in the book about headspace. And I really loved one of your quotes where you said, remember, you can run without headspace, but you can't train. And what you were getting at there was about that, that if we use all of our head energy, all of our brain power to, to get the training done in the morning and then we're exhausted, we'll probably end up making mistakes during the rest of the day because we don't have the brain power to concentrate on not going for that bar of chocolate or not doing something relaxing or getting too stressed too easy. So I thought that was a really great part of what of what you were talking about in terms of just making sure that we have enough headspace to be able to enjoy our training and not let the stresses of life affect our training too much. Yeah, I think, you know, the second time around for me, enjoyment of the process was was the was the king rather than the, the outcome. And, um, you know, a big part in, in the second time around for me was very much the learnings I got from behavioral psychology. And, you know, there's a great book, um, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow by, by Daniel Kamen and another one, um, The Marshmallow Test um, by Professor Walter Mitchell. And, and basically they're both describing two parts of the brain, you know, the rational one and the more impulsive one. And um, they're kind of explaining that the the capacity of the rational one it, it, it's got a, it's got a limited fuel tank so in other words you can only concentrate on uh, something for so long and you can only concentrate on a certain number of things for so long before that tank becomes depleted and when that tank is depleted you're in reactive mode um all the time so the second time around for me it was a case of limiting my options and kind of investing properly um in it which meant I couldn't do everything, you know, I had to, I had to get finished work on time. Um, and I had to curtail, you know, even, even social things like maybe going to watch a, maybe going to watch a rugby match, uh, down the country because it wasn't so much about watching the match, but the trip down there, the trip back and everything else, um, that goes with it. So, um, you know, I do think making headspace for whatever it is you're trying to do in your life, um, is important, but, really important in 2021 when we're just overloaded you know as a society with the amount of stuff going on that you have to really develop a good discipline saying look if this running thing is important uh, certainly from a performance point of view uh, I need to make room for this otherwise it's not going to work you know when I was when I was in UL I do my PhD I, I ran for 40 weeks one time because I I put together some good learnings but the reason it broke down in the end was I was trying to train like an elite athlete, do a PhD and study on the weekends and, and do seven other projects at the same time, you know? So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely the psychological stuff is, is massive for, for developing consistency. And do you have any little tips or techniques, Peter, for, you know, it's a Friday evening, we're all exhausted after a hard week and after ferrying the kids around to their different activities or whatever, where, you know, does a second bar of chocolate there or does a couple of, you know, extra glasses of wine there to be drank? As you said, it's so hard to say no if our brains are exhausted. 
So, so is there any little trigger word that we can use or any little tip that we can use to say no, no extra bar, no extra glass of wine of a session in the morning? Um, no. And, and the reason the reason is that um, when you're in that state, you're in a, You're in a place of lack. So you're you're not going to be able to come over, uh, overcome your your biology so well. So that so the real trick is not getting to that place on Friday evening. So the 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 things that are promoting the the overindulgence are probably happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um so if you can figure out how to get your week onto a more even keel, um you will be less less ravenous when you get to that Friday, Friday evening. Um, and if you're more relaxed and have more headspace, you just won't be um craving it in quite the same way i mean a real simple answer i used to give when i was asked that question you know like i was i was actually once asked what do you do when you want to run fast you know what's what's the first thing you do and i literally just said like, i i make sure i'm out of work by out of the office by four o'clock um yeah. and 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 the reason for that is the time it takes to to make something to eat to get a good night's sleep and whatever else and 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 what i'll say about headspace as well is Try and stack the deck in your favor. And the way you do that is, is capitalizing on the easy wins. In other words, like the resources that are nearest to you. So for example, um, let's say, let's say you've got kids, right? But your 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 runner's yoga class is an hour across town. Like that's no good for you because you're gonna lose uh two hours getting there and getting back. And whatever benefits you've got from the yoga are gone now. But if you were to if you were to, for example, bring your kids to um, soccer training and while they were soccer training, you were to do 20 minutes of app-guided yoga on the back pitch. Now you're stacking the deck in your favor and you're also you're, you're, you're kind of um, you're also adding to your headspace because you're getting two jobs done at once and making it work realistically within your lifestyle. I mean, one of the reasons I used to do yoga was because in the downstairs gym at work there was yoga on wednesday and friday um so i just made that work in my in my program because i knew it would be no extra headspace to get there you know yeah i know one thing that i do myself peter as well is that you know sometimes i'd love to go to the mountains to to do a session or do a training run but the mountains might be an hour away so, you know, if I'm to go to the mountains, do my 90 minutes or my two hours there, by the hour car drive, get parking, do my run, and then drive back, it's a four-hour training session. And then that just, you know, sets me off to, to a bad start for the whole day, and then I'm yeah. chasing my tail for the rest of the afternoon. So t- sometimes I might just sacrifice that training run in the mountains and then just be more relaxed during the day because I just go down to the local park instead or the local hills instead. Maybe the quality of the run isn't as good, but at least I still got 90 minutes in, two hours in, and I'm not stressed out for the rest of the day because I've lost two hours driving there, um, which can be in the long term more beneficial because you're more relaxed, you recover quicker, of course, as well. So it's just to make those little, little sacrifices that can actually work in your favor as well. Absolutely. And I think with that specific example, Owen, the, the, the what you're getting from the local hills, it won't be that far off, like is the is the big thing. And, and the other thing is um, for you to do that and behave like that, 
uh, it's all about confidence. So, so athletes have to have confidence that if they if they develop a process for training that they trust it and kind of know that they can deliver on the day. Like when I was running, um, you know, I uh, I never trained uh, really near the red line at all, um, but I knew if I was consistent that the race would take care of itself. And and you know, I remember. The first uh, personal best I ran when I was running the second time around, and I never ran like the the kind of Saturday morning park run any faster than you know seventeen and a half minutes or just under that. But then when I did the ten k race, I put two seventeen tens back to back. So you've you've got to trust yourself that if you're consistent, doing things right, and not stressing yourself out, uh, that it will it will it will work out for you in the race you know and and in, in that case it's a case of look if i get the local hills done every week it'll be better than getting the mountains done every third week because i'm all over the place you know what i mean so it's yeah it's uh, it's, it's about confidence that in, in in the process you know it, it's a great example that you just gave there peter and sometimes it might be considered a leap of faith by runners that the yeah. trust the protest the process to trust the training and I suppose to, to get from running steady or 5K park runs at 17.30 or whatever it might be, to then running two 17.10s back to back, did you find that maybe visualization helped? Thinking about the actual race day itself? Or was it just a constant getting the training done every day and then you knew it would happen? Or did you actually have to, you know, really think hard and concentrate and visualize I can do this. Uh, no, the first thing to say is, right, the whole thing is, is fluke in terms of um, how I, I'll tell you how I got there. So, so firstly, you have to remember at the start of this process, I've given up on the notion of being a competitive runner and that is key. So because I'm thinking I'm never going to be a competitive runner, I've managed to shed all my baggage about running and everything about it. So, so I'm stumbling into some sort of um, consistency, but I'm no longer kind of um, attached to all the norms of before. So what I did was I said, you know, what would I need to do just to be able to run consistently, you know, um, and try and get a bit fitter. And so when I wrote down everything on a page I needed to do, there was four days training, which meant there was only three days left to run. Now, um, I said, okay, let's let's see, can I do that for eight weeks? So I did that for eight weeks and I delivered the 1710s. Now, what's happening then is you're starting to believe in, in what you're doing. Um, and all of a sudden, eight weeks becomes three years and, you know, um, 34, 20 becomes 33, 45, you know, so... Um, one of the things that shocked me uh, about the whole thing was how little I had to do provided I did it consistently. And I have a graph um, that, that I'll show you sometime, but the, the line in terms of the volume of, of miles run. So I have a kind of a graph where all the dots are there over the course of three years. And if you draw a line through the dots, it's almost a straight line uh, of an average over three years of 30 miles a week. But if you draw another line through what happens to my 10K times, it goes from 36.40 to 35.20 to 
20 to 33 for it just goes down down like a rocket um so so you know um it, it wasn't a case that i, I kind of I, I became consistent i wrote a new program i got better and better and the confidence um grew from there but i do think what released me to do that was was giving up on the old kind of way of of doing things you know it's a great example of of consistency, isn't it? And the benefit of avoiding injuries where, as you said at the start of the interview, you were doing 70 mile weeks at an early age, but there, I think you just mentioned that you were doing 30 mile weeks over three years and that led to incredible performances. And that was maybe the last point that I was going to touch on from my side today, Peter, was that you, you have spoken before and written before about obsessing about the process, not obsessing about the results and the end goal, but about the process. And I think you've described it very well there, just to get through the day-to-day running, to get consistency, to to practice race day preparation consistently, and then everything else will take care of itself. And that and that's it. Yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell. And, and I think when you hit on a model that's sustainable, you're you're you enjoy it more because you're not under the cosh the whole time. So yeah. you're kind of on the front foot, uh, so to speak. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a lot more enjoyable that way. Now the program did go on eventually to, you know, I would, I would do a block of training where the average miles would be 40 weeks. And instead of running three days, I was running four and it does progress, but it, it's just, it progresses slowly, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, Peter, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation today. We could go on for another half an hour, but but our time is against us. And Peter, maybe we could finish off by just letting people know where they can get the book from, where they can read some of your previous work as well, and get some of that great advice that you've been talking about today. Um, so they can read any of the, the blogs I've written on peterfrancis.blog. Um, the book is out this day uh, next week on Amazon. So that's the 28th of, of June. Um, but yeah, everything they would, they would need is on peterfrancis.blog. Okay, super. And final question for me, Peter, what's your next goal yourself? Do you have another 10K target in front of you or how is your own training going at the moment? Well, uh, at the... at the Don't tell me you're injured. <laughs> no, no. Um, at, at the back end of 2018, I, I stopped the competitive stuff. Um, I went all in for three years and I was in incredible uh, physical condition, to, to be perfectly honest. I know runners say this all the time, but... I think I was probably in about 32, 50 shape um, for 10K, but mentally, uh, having given everything to it for three years, I was, it was just, I was, I was wrecked and it, and it was time to move on. So I suppose the, the success for me was that physically uh, I was, I was better than ever. And um, so I kind of stepped away from running because I wanted to rather than, rather than because of injury. Now I still I still run a couple of times a week. Um, I still enjoy it, and you know, but I, I suppose I'm I'm doing other things now, like like going out for hikes and and different things like that. You know, so um, yeah, it's more of a more of a pastime now. Okay, well, listen, Peter, thanks a million for joining us today, and you never know, should we might see you out in the hills sometime. That's it. That's it. Okay, talk to you soon, Peter, and best of luck at the book. Take care. Cheers. Thanks.
that's a wrap for this week everyone some great tips for running injury free from both Rene and Peter today and you know listen back write the tips down look back on them over the summertime and just watch all those great runs you are going to do stack up one final ask to check out our Patreon page everyone the pledges there every month help keep the show going so your 3 euros your 6 euros the price of a good protein bar will help make the difference if you do get a moment to do it have a super super week everyone running and training good luck to the mind body and mountains crew who are meeting up again on sunday the 27th check out their social media for more information on that everybody get your running gear on let's go